Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. I think that is our hope in the midst of this season is that you have a playlist to listen to. You are surrounding yourself with voices that lift you, that point you to Jesus and to his cross. Because in times when we don't know what's going on and in times of wonderment and um, anxiety, it's good to look at the cross. And so we want to open up God's word for these last few minutes together. And so if you have a Bible with you, whether you got a Bible app on your phone or you're rocking one that has some pages in it, right? So I've got mine here. Um, we did a, a straw poll and some of you have been uh, kind of letting us know, like, please, please, would you please do a sermon from one of the early Christian letters? And so fine, we heard you. And so today we want to go to First Peter. And so if you have your Bible, it's towards the end, not quite to the last book of the Bible at uh, Revelation, but a few before that. You're going to find one of the letters of Peter, and this one is called First Peter. So First Peter chapter 3, and we're going to do a few verses. Oh man, I, I even messed this slide up. This is my entire thing, and I messed it up. It's, so, it's supposed to say verse, no, that's fine, Nikki. First, uh, First Peter chapter 3, verses 13, all the way to 22. So head over to chapter 3 of First Peter. It's a small letter, and so you can quickly pass it by. Um, it's the kind of book in the Bible that gets listed as a book, even though it's a letter, that if you fan through the pages, you can quickly miss it. It's like the Titus's or the Philemon's, the quick ones. But head over to 1 Peter chapter 3, and this is where we find ourselves today. Probably a little bit helpful to give you some background. Um, who is it that Peter is writing to? He is the guy. He is the author. He's the one that scholars would say he's writing to a group of Christians. They would be in what is called Asia Minor. Today, we would call that modern-day Turkey. And so that's the region of the world that they were in. They were a part of the growing and the ever-expanding Roman Empire. And so for Peter, he is giving some instructions to some Christians that are gathering. And so if you're following along with me, grab your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3. If you got kids with us, um, it's okay. They can be loud, they can be noisy, they can be distracting. You can always come back and listen to this one. Um, but even for kids, we do have some extra resources available. If you go to refugeoc.com forward slash church at home, there's some videos regardless of their age. And uh, even later today, you guys can, can use that on uh, any kind of a device and let them be a part of some good um, God uh, lessons. So First Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read it. Follow along with me. My eyes are going to be looking down here, but let's read together. Well, I'll be reading. You can follow along. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. In that state, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, 
to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Christ Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. All right. There's a lot there. Peter's on a roll. He's thrown out big words, big phrases, and he's challenging his readers when he sends them this letter in Turkey. Remember, Asia Minor. And if you are like me, there are times when you read scripture, you're like, what just happened? And I need to go back and read it again. And it's okay. You can totally do that. But I do want to point out that in this quick little section of verses, there's actually three subsections. And I want to put that up on the screen that you can see with me this morning. The three subsections would be section one, there's a word about suffering, and that takes the first few verses. Section two, Jesus is preaching to prisoners. You're like, really? What's up with that? And then section three, there's a word about heaven. And it's just that one verse, it's that final verse, and we we are told where Jesus is. So if you'll let me, I want to work backwards, and we'll keep this on the screen for just a second. And you can go back and read this at your leisure today or at your leisure, depending on where you are in the world. Um, But we want you to really look with us at what Peter is trying to convey to that first century context. And again, it's a book about suffering, and we're going to get to the suffering section last. So we're going to start in section three, where we hear about heaven. And for so many people, heaven is like the end goal and this prize. And we have been taught in our world, and regardless of where you grew up, if you have even, if you're at on the fence with God right now, if you're wondering, should I jump in with him? You probably have heard this notion of Christians or people around the world who say that when you go to heaven or when you die, you go to heaven, right? That's like the main mantra that we think about. But Jesus isn't in heaven as if that's the final resting place or the final destination for every single one of us. He's in heaven. Almost, you got to think of it much like a... uh, like a control room, right? This is where God is doing his business for all of the universe. Heaven just seems to be that place, this ante room, this waiting room, this control room where he gets his things done. So heaven isn't the place that we end up. Heaven is actually eventually what we are told through scripture and a little bit more um, accurate in terms of how, how Jesus portrayed this and the early Christians knew this. That there's going to come a day when Jesus comes back and he's not here to just take us back and get us out of this place. He's actually bringing heaven to us. And so when Jesus steps on the scene and begins to teach those three years of public ministry, he is making and proclaiming the kingdom. And he is making and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven because he knows full well that there's going to come a day where God reconciles it all, where he matches the ideals of heaven, the goals of the kingdom, and he's going to bring them to earth and so that there can be a redemption and a renewal of all things. So that's where Jesus is. And so for the Christians who are reading this at this time and for us in 2020, we get a sense that Jesus is in heaven. Yes, there is a heaven. I'm not discounting that at all, but he's in heaven doing the father's business on behalf of us. And there's going to come a day when it's fixed. All right. So section two, we talked about that Jesus goes and preaches to prisoners and some people would say that this is actually, if you take that phrase, prisoners, could be a reference to Jesus going to hell. And you're like, hold on a second, did Jesus really go to hell? Well, there's an early Christian thought 
And if you are familiar with anything, any of the early Christian creeds, there was these statements that Christians would band together and they would proclaim certain things about who Jesus was. Because much like today, you got to figure out what do you stand for? And so the early Christians, as they went around the empire, they could ultimately hold up their list. Like, what do you stand for? What are the things on your tenets of belief? Or who is this Jesus according to you? And so they would say things like the Apostles' Creed. And in the Apostles' Creed, there's actually this phrase that Jesus descended into hell. And many scholars would point to this passage in 1 Peter as the moment for that. And I love the fact that even one of the songs that we sang this morning was the creed. It was that this it was the this I believe song, the first song. So after this, if you want to go back and re-listen to Brandon leading that song, and you'll take new meaning, this understanding of we lay out the markers of what is it that we believe. But Jesus, when he goes and speaks to these prisoners, what is that all about? What's the imagery that Peter is using? Is he really going to hell or is he conquering hell? What's it, what is up with Jesus's actions in this moment? And for Jesus, the only thing I can point to in this moment that would help us at least visually and, and, and conceptually grasp what he is doing, um, I got to look to literature and media. And this is how, because some of you are familiar with a, a series of books called the Chronicles of Narnia. And the first book, or at least some people would say this is the first book you're supposed to read, is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you know that story, there's a, there's a lion, right? It's in the title. And then there's a witch and there's a wardrobe. So after you get through the wardrobe, you get to a place called Narnia. And in Narnia, when you first encounter it, the white witch is in charge of everything. It's always winter. There's a moment at the end, and I don't want to spoil the movie, and it's a book. There's a moment when Aslan, the lion, is killed. But he, representing Christ in the story, rises from the dead. And when he does that, he goes and finds all of the creatures of Narnia that have been turned to stone in the white witch's winter. And he breathes on them and brings them back to life. And that's how they get to combat the armies of darkness through the white witch. And they come to winning, a winning moment. It's a great story. If you haven't read it, read the book. If you haven't seen the movie, go watch it. It's a great movie to even watch with kids. But there's another movie. I love this series. Lord of the Rings. You remember the, the Return of the King, the last movie of the three and the last book of the three. Where Aragon comes back to win the moment, right? But he does it with an army that is supposed to be dead, the army of the dead. And he brings them back. And he So if you can conceive what God is doing through Jesus, it's as if Jesus is bringing back to life the people that have been been dead. And he's even mentioning those way back in the days of Noah, right? Noah's ark. And we say that there were only eight who believed at that time. But what about the dead? What about the ones who didn't make it through the flood, which is a really tough story. We love to put the images of Noah and the ark on babies and toddlers, nurseries and rooms in our houses. And we love the imagery of the ark and the two by two when it comes to the animals getting on the ark and everything like that. But it's also a story of God drawing a line in the stand saying, do you believe? And we're also filled with wonder, like what does God do with those who didn't? Is there a chance that he would engage them again? And from this passage in Peter, it's as if Peter is talking to the believers in Asia Minor in Turkey and reminding them that regardless of the persecution that we go through, Regardless of the things that 
hamper us and trip us up. God is in the business of constantly going after his people. And Peter mentions baptism in this moment because baptism is a moment for Jesus. He's not going to get baptized. If you remember the story when Jesus gets baptized, he's not going to clean himself. You don't go to get baptized to wash yourself like with the physical dirt. Like when I have to remind my kids like, hey, it's quarantine lifestyle and I know that you haven't showered as much, but you should probably shower this week. So we're not in a moment where I got to go get baptized to wash my body. Actually, I go get baptized because I want to join in a stream, literally. Like, did you see what I just did there with the word? I want to jump in a stream that has been used for millennium to recognize that new life comes out of water. But the baptism moment for Jesus, it was also a recommitment of God's love for him. And the interesting thing for you and I is that it's also a recommitment of God's love for you and me. God is saying that he loves us, period. There are moments where we don't feel that love, and perhaps you might be in that moment today. There are some who don't want that love, and they reject it. There are some who are wondering if they'll ever sense it again. And I want to proclaim to you that God is not done. He doesn't just go to heaven to take a break. He's not hanging out in his place and just saying, I'm done with these people. Until they fix it, I'm not doing anything. Now, that's not the way God works. For God, he's going after his people. And we get the action of Jesus, even in this letter that Peter writes to those early Christians in Asia Minor and modern-day Turkey. And finally, to that last section, that first section, section one, the one about suffering and the one about persecution. And we got to understand the context for it to really make sense. Because for suffering for back then, like they, they knew it full well. And they suffered because they were Christians, right? They suffered because they took the name of Jesus instead of the name of Caesar. You would be known throughout the empire as a Roman citizen, as a good Roman citizen, if you would say things, Caesar is Lord. But this little band of Christians, this little ragtag group of people that got their movement started, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the other parts of the earth, constantly banded together and say, Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is. That's how it works. But for these early Christians, they were persecuted and they suffered a lot because they took the name of Jesus. And so in their world, suffering was something that they experienced so often because they called themselves Christians or they called themselves followers of the way. What about, what is it about that suffering for them do we know? And some scholars say this actually might be helpful to, in terms of how do we know when to date this letter that, that Peter writes? Because unlike the letters or the emails that you and I send, there's no date stamp on it. And so we kind of trust and we like look at the, uh, the surrounding evidence to figure out, well, what is it and when is it that Peter wrote this? And some would say it's probably prior to when Nero did all of his persecution to the Christians in the empire. So for some people, they would say, well, this this letter predates that, so it's got to be earlier than 64 AD. Because that's when Nero did his worst to Christians. That's when he, he used their bodies as torches around his palace. That's when he didn't care what happened if you were a Christian. And some would say... If this letter even happened after that, persecution and suffering was still a reality for the Christians in the empire. And so when we read this story, the temptation 
to be real honest, the temptation is to say, well, that was their suffering. Well, what's my suffering? What is it that I'm going through? What is it that we're going through that we would sense is suffering? And if I can make a bold statement, this time period that we're in, this coronavirus lockdown, this quarantine, this new normal that we are experiencing is not the same kind of suffering that the Christians of the early church experienced. It's not. Because for them, they were forced to go underground. They were forced to figure out it was a life or death situation to say, I'm a Christian. And for us in 2020, it's not a life or death situation to say that we're Christians. In fact, I would even venture to say, I would wager if we're playing poker, which I'm not today, I would, I would go all in on the concept that the church, the kingdom has flourished during coronavirus because God's name has been made known even more so. We have gotten his name out even more than we did before. I opened up my Facebook this morning, just like many of you. And the things that I see on my feed are the friends that I have that are, are, that are pastors and missionaries all around the world who are helping to make sure that church services still happen in an online environment. So the gospel is being preached. God's word is getting out there. The kingdom is expanding. Get this, when coronavirus happened and we all had to hunker down and figure out church online, Facebook was one of the first companies out there providing microphones and lighting kits for churches so that they can keep their broadcasting going. That's an amazing story where a, a company like Facebook is getting in on the action to say, we want to make sure that the church can still be the church. You would never have said that months ago. But the word of Jesus is getting out. The kingdom is on the move. God is on the move all the time. So this period that we are in is tough, and I'm not minimizing what is happening. There are tragic consequences for what is going on in our world. The economic impact is huge and is not even known to its fullest effect yet. We get prayer requests on our team. By the way, if you need a prayer request today, let us know. Send us a direct message. We get prayer requests from many in our community about how this has affected them, the loss of job, the loss of income. We've got business owners who are part of the refuge community that are asking us and, and our pastors to pray for them because they feel the burden of their employees at their places of business. And so for us, this is not lost on us. We are not saying, oh, that everything's great right now because we know it's not great. But I just want to hold my language when I say that we are not suffering like the early church did. Yes, we are going through hardship and trial, but it looks different because this is not a case against our belief in Jesus. This is actually a shared dynamic for all humanity. This, unlike so many other events in our world, we are all in this together. It's not something that I can say like, oh, just those people are going through it or just them. And we can proclaim like, well, they probably didn't pray their prayers that week. That's why this is happening. And that's not the case in this regard. I would say that the church is being the church in this moment. They're responding. We want to do our small part in the heart of orange, but we know full well that the kingdom's on the move and the kingdom's advancing and the kingdom is exploding, just like it did in the early church days. So we may not be persecuted and suffering like they did. 
And there is persecution and suffering happening in this world. There are believers around the world who don't get to have the freedom of an online church service, that don't get to openly proclaim the name of Jesus in their communities, in their streets, on their public Facebook feeds. But for us in this season, we recognize that things are hard, but we want to persevere. We want to continue to proclaim God's name and bring hope to those around us. And that's the verse I want to end on this morning. In this passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 is the verse. And I want to throw it up on the screen real quick for you. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I want to be the kind of person who proclaims hope because the name of Jesus, his kingdom, is worth proclaiming and singing about. His reality is worth telling the world about. I want to give that kind of hope to the people that I come in contact with. And mark Peter's words there when he says, do it with gentleness and respect. Let us be the kinds of people. Let us be the followers of Jesus. Let us be the types of Christians in this world that always have a chance to share hope. That in the midst of the things that we go through that can be suffering, that can be trials and persecution, we never shy away from that moment. Because interestingly enough, Peter is one of the first disciples and apostles to proclaim that actually suffering aligns us with Jesus. One of the words that, uh, that um, Brandon sang this morning and one of the songs that I wrote down on my sticky notes, like if you saw my computer right now, I got all these sticky notes. Like this is, this is the way that I do things. Death is just a doorway to resurrection life. We are the kinds of people that have a different story to tell because of how God is on the move and what his kingdom is up to. So no matter what comes at me, no matter what comes at us, no matter what comes at you, we have hope to proclaim because even if suffering is our lot in life, we'll proclaim Jesus. Suffering does not mean that God has abandoned us. In fact, much like even the words of another song that Brandon sang this morning, there's someone else in the fire with me. There are two stories that get me through these seasons. It's the story of Job, a grand book. Consider reading it, diving into it this season. Because its words are rich with God's meaning for presence in people's lives. Many would say it's the oldest book in scripture. And God wants to proclaim to his people that he's going to be with us regardless of what comes our way. But Job did everything right and yet he still went through hardship and trial. And then I always love this, the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a story, if you've got kids in your household, go read that one today. That's the story. Where when they are hit with the, with the, the fiery furnace, and they say to the king, hey, our God is completely powerful enough and able to get us out of here. And even if he doesn't, we still won't bow to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Because that is the story of Christians who have a hope to give to the world because the world desperately needs to be reminded of God's presence and his place. So my hope for you 
My hope for you is that you be people of hope, that you be brokers of hope in this season more than anything else. Everyone around you will say things are falling apart. It doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you fall in. Someone's blaming someone. But you and I, we get to proclaim that it doesn't matter what's happening around us because we know the king. The king is on the throne. The king is on the move. And his kingdom is advancing. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for the words of your servant, Peter, who speaks brightness and boldness into our souls today. Help us to be the kinds of people that broker hope in our communities, in our neighborhoods, even in our homes. God, you are doing an amazing thing. We get a glimpse of your good news happening all around us. May we be the types of people who celebrate that versus just wallowing in the misery and pain and just saying it's always going to be this way. And may we take a cue from Peter May we give the kind of hope that the world needs. May we do it with the gentleness and respect that will earn us a place in our culture and our society that will point people to you because that, that is good news. You are an amazing God. Thank you for this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning at Refuge. Whether you're watching us live or you'll be watching us or listening to us in the future, be blessed this week. Have eyes and ears to see and to hear the kingdom at work around you. Peace be with you. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.